Hello, everybody. My name is Steve, and I'm here today for the Friday conversation with Brandon Applegate. Brandon, thank you for joining me today. Yeah, thank you for having me. Yeah, so I wanted to chat with you about your the book you have coming soon, which is, I want to be sure I get this title right, Those We Left Behind and Other Sacrifices. There you go. <laughs> yep. So you got tell it. us about it. Yeah, tell us yeah. about your book. Yeah, sure. Uh, so it's a short story collection, uh, mostly horror stories, uh, definitely a little bit of variety in there. Some of them are sci-fi horror. Some of them are more literary, dark, weird kind of stuff, uh, you know, uh, and uh, it's full of all kinds of interesting monsters like carnivorous fairies and uh, nice. babies that eat people and, you know, just uh, super crazy stuff like that. So <laughs> carnivorous fairies that. <laughs> sounds right up right on my alley it was perfect oh right on man <laughs> yeah no that was a fun one to write yeah and that cover is very striking it's a very eye-catching cover uh so did you have someone design it for you or how did that come about yeah actually that that cover was actually a collab a collaborative effort between a couple of people uh the painting itself is actually a, an oil painting that i had commissioned uh by a peruvian artist named uh, christopher castillo diaz and he uh actually found him on fiverr of all places but uh when i uh when i started looking into his work uh he does incredible work mostly for like heavy metal album covers but there's a lot of uh uh, great, really creepy images of of creatures with tentacles and all kinds of stuff like that. Uh, that really, it, it really hit me where I lived because the title story of the collection is actually about uh, a monster with some pretty crazy tentacle stuff going on. And so, uh, I want I commissioned him to do a, a an illustration from that story, uh, and that's that's where that cover comes from. And then the text treatment uh, and everything else, the the actual design of it as a book cover uh, comes from uh, my friend Cassandra York, who is also an author uh, of the novel Mary Everything, but she also does uh, cover designs as well. And so uh, she helped me out with the text treatment and designing it in uh, actual cover format. So that was, uh, I'm, I'm very grateful to both of them. <laughs> that's a quite a find on, on uh, Fiverr. I, I know, right? Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah and you know there are definitely book cover designers on there stuff like that they uh, uh i got really interesting though when i started looking a little bit outside the box though and and realized that this guy who does this these great metal album covers could also potentially do something in uh, in book cover format so that was pretty cool that is awesome yeah yeah and do you have it was a it was a painting you said the artwork yeah, yeah, it's actual. It's actually an oil painting uh, on canvas. Uh, it is still in Peru. I could not convince Christopher to part with it, however hard I tried. Uh, but he he was uh, kind enough to give me all the digitals. So, <laughs> yeah, that was my next question. If you had it hanging in your wall somewhere or something. Oh man, I wish I did. I want to. I'll, I'll, I'll get it from him eventually. Maybe I don't know. <laughs> he says he keeps all of his canvases in his studio, so uh, that's uh, that's his prerogative for sure. <laughs> I bet. I wonder if customs would be a, a big pain to get something like that shipped to you from Peru. Oh man, you know, I don't even know. I haven't even looked into it. But, uh, uh, interesting thought. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Might be. Yeah, that'd be that'd be cool to have it. But still, it's a great cover. Oh yeah. Well, thanks. Thanks. I appreciate it. Yeah, I was I was stunned uh, personally when because uh, you know we worked together every step of the process. There was. Uh, there were preliminary sketches and, and color uh, color tests, and color treatments and stuff like that that he shared with me. But 
uh, and and I, so I knew it was going to be great, but I, I didn't really get a sense for how awesome it was going to be until like I, I saw, I think I saw it at one point about three quarters done. And I was like, oh, this is going to be, this is going to be killer. <laughs> yeah. That oil painting look is just beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks. Oh, man. Yeah. So tell us about your collection. Did you, has it, have you been writing it for a while or how did that come, come to be? Yeah, it's it's kind of an interesting story because I didn't really know I was going to do it until like most of the most of the most of the stories in it were written well before I thought of uh, putting them together in any kind of collection. Uh, I've been writing since I, I I wrote my first real original story where I was trying hard in like in about 2016, <laughs> and uh, of course you know that one got uh, rejected right out of the gate as, as it would you know. But I, I think I started writing the stories in this collection uh, around 2018 2019, uh, and uh, they so a little bit before the pandemic started. It's funny the oldest story in the book is actually about a pandemic, and I wrote it before the pandemic, so. Uh, you know, that was weird, but yeah, <laughs> <that'd be> weird. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but uh, you know, most of them, I actually started writing on uh, on Medium, uh, which is you know a, a, a blogger uh, platform. Uh, started writing for some uh, some publications on Medium itself, uh, and just trying to get my work out there. Uh, did that for a little while. A bunch of these stories appeared on those publications. Uh, and then, you know, uh, I've, uh, I, I don't really do much with medium anymore. Now I'm submitting to anthologies and stuff like that, trying to get my work out there in some different ways. Uh, but, uh, you know, I was writing these stories all through 2019, all through 2020, through the pandemic and everything else. Uh, and then it, it, uh, it wasn't until I made a few friends, uh, among various writers, uh, that I, I was like, you know, I bet I could actually build a collection out of these. Uh, and so, uh, so I started putting it together. It needed about two more stories. So I wrote two more after I put the initial group together and, uh, and this is what I ended up with. Hmm. So yeah. you need a, you, do you need a, a certain amount of stories to have a collection? Is that kind of what the thinking is or? Well, it was really more about word count. Like there's a few, uh, uh, like I'm, I'm a member of the the horror writers association, and so one of the things that I wanted to do is pipe dream. But I just wanted to submit it for the Bram Stoker Award just to see if anybody read it and liked it. I've actually had a couple of people from the list tell me that they enjoyed it, so that was pretty cool. But, uh, but I, uh, you know, uh, wanted to submit it there, and their minimum word count is forty thousand words for a short story collection for that for that. So, uh, just kind of dropped those couple of extra stories in there as a as a way to kind of jump it up over that word count threshold. <laughs> oh, nice. Yeah, and it didn't never occur to me that there was a word count. I guess it makes sense, but I, I wouldn't have thought that about. Yeah, that. yeah, yeah. Yeah, various organizations I think do it differently depending on you know whatever they're uh, trying, whatever award or whatever it is that they're trying to. To, to do but that that's the one that i was like yeah i'll try for that if i can i, I mean i can at least submit it to them <laughs> yeah why not and how right? does that process how does that process work so you submit your your yeah. book or your your work to them and then what happens from there well you know uh I, i've recently done a lot of uh looking into this because i you know i didn't know myself uh there's actually a you submit it almost like you're submitting a short story to a to a publication or something like that they do a uh, there's a submittable, um, which is a, a you know, uh, 
writing software where you can submit your work to people, but there's a, uh, a submittable portal and you can upload a PDF to it uh, so that they can, so that the jury can take a look at it. You can also get recommended by, by other members of the organization, stuff like that. So, uh, hmm. you know, there's a few different routes in, but that's the, uh, that's the one I took was just to drop it into that submittable portal. So fingers crossed. And who knows? I just did that a few days ago. So, <laughs> so how long does it take to hear back or how, do, how does that work? Oh man, uh, yeah, that's the part I've, I haven't figured out yet. So I, I don't know. I probably I won't hear anything back until you know if somebody sees it and notices it and likes it. I might, but you know, it's all that. That's one of those up in the air things that I would never know. <laughs> right. Unless yeah, it I'm guessing it takes a little while, but I was yeah. I wonder yeah. how long it, how long because it it's got to be kind of weird to submit it and then. Wait. Oh yeah, the waiting part would be the hardest part, I think. Oh, uh, waiting part is the hardest part of anything, man. Yeah. Short story uh, submissions, anything like that, it's always hard. Uh, probably my least favorite part of the writing game in general is just sitting around waiting. So, <laughs> yeah, that's tough. And speaking of waiting, you're waiting on the release date now for your book, which releases yeah. on November twenty third. Yep, you got it. November twenty third. So, nice. uh, it's up for pre order right now. You can pre order the ebook on Amazon. Uh, I'm taking pre orders for signed copies on my website uh, at bapplegate bapplegate.com, all one word. Uh, but uh, uh, yeah, my wife calls it bapplegate.com. She thinks that's funny. <laughs> uh, but <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'm taking uh, or orders for signed copies there. It'll take a little bit longer to get the signed copy to you, but you know, uh, it it should be fun anyway. Heck yeah. Yeah. I do have all those links down below. So anyone wanting a, a, a copy, either a pre or, or signed, those links are in the description. So jump on those. Cool. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah. So have you always been a, a fan of, have you, well, you said you, you started really getting serious in about 2016, 2017 writing. That, that's when I started getting serious about writing, but I've always read in the horror genre. I've always loved the horror genre. My, uh, uh, some of my earliest memories of reading. And I was a, I was a really voracious reader when I was a kid, especially. And I used to sneak in, my mom had uh, a stash of like, uh, you know, grown up horror books like Stephen King's and Clive Barker's and all this stuff, Peter Straub, all this. And uh, uh, it, it used to be in the kitchen in my house where I was growing up. There was like this big wall of shelves and it was like in the corner in the kitchen in one of the shelves. And I used to have to sneak through my house at night and like steal her books that I wasn't supposed to read and read them. Uh, so, yeah, I've, I've always loved this kind of stuff. So it, it was uh, yeah, I, I don't know why it took me until 2016 to start trying, but yeah. So have you always, you've always written horror? Have you tried other writing other genres as an experiment or pretty much? Well, as sure. horror? No, I mean, I, I've, I've, uh, there's actually stories in, in this book that I don't necessarily consider to be fully horror. Like, hmm. uh, uh, most of most of the stories in here are definitely horror and there's some gruesome stuff some gore some really uh, freaky images and things like that but there's also stories in here like uh and and i'm flipping through right now because i need to remember story titles there's one called uh you will be the one to find this this is the, that is uh definitely to my mind not a horror story it's really more of a, a supernatural family drama so there's there's always an uh, some sort of element of supernatural or otherworldly stuff in my stories but it's not necessarily always something i would consider to be uh horror uh, on the face of it nice yeah and our friend the world according to jay is here he says another show today 
show off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I saw your schedule, man. You had quite the schedule today, didn't you? Yeah, um, it's been a busy, busy afternoon, and then we have uh, a kickoff to a, a group read tonight. So yeah, yeah, very yeah, cool. good times. And I yeah. saw you had Villa May missed on earlier. She's fan. She's yeah. fantastic. That's great, man. Yeah, she's great. She's very talented and hilarious. So oh, she's yeah. always fun. Yeah, she's always fun to chat with. Yeah, yeah, sure. awesome. yeah. Yeah. Are there are there any authors that you enjoy reading now? Like any? Um, oh yeah, lots. Authors. Yeah. So who's who stands out for you now? Um, oh my goodness, uh, so many. Alfred uh, uh, Alley is one of my favorite current indie authors. He actually wrote the foreword in my collection too. Oh, nice. uh, which is which is super cool. Uh, he's got a new one out right now. Uh, which is called We Will Find a Place for You, uh, which is such a great title. Uh, but uh, I, I love uh, I love his work. I love uh, Gordon B. White. Uh, Eric Ragland's book, Nightmare Yearnings, is probably one of my favorite things I've read this year, uh, especially uh, the, uh, the, uh, uh, the Mothman story at the end of that. Oh, my God, such a good story. Uh, so, yeah, uh, I've been reading a lot of indie recently, like, as as indie as I can get, so. <laughs> uh, but those are some of my favorites of recent note. When did you start reading more indie books? Is it just been that you've been making friends with people in the industry, or it kind of is because, and not even not even so much making friends with them as it was. Uh, it's funny about two years ago, uh, shortly after I started, well, a little while after I started writing a medium, and began uh, trying to submit wider. Uh, I, I discovered writer Twitter. Uh, Twitter is a is a is a uh, uh, platform that I had never really taken seriously ever <laughs> uh, until until then, and I kind of found a purpose for it. And when I in my in my own life, and when I did, I started following uh, you know horror authors I knew, and they followed horror authors that na- they knew, and it was just this rabbit hole that I eventually went down uh, and to the point where I found just some phenomenal. Uh, independent authors, independent presses, uh, and uh, to the point where, like, I stack books on my shelves sort of in order of acquisition. So up here, you're going to see Stephen King and Joe Hill and, uh, you know, just a ton of, uh, Tony Morrison, but a a ton of authors who are very, very uh, well-known, super uh, widely published. And then you get a little bit further this way, and it starts going into... Matthew Bartlett, who is who is self-published, it starts going into Alfred Alley and Gordon B. White and uh, you know Adam Neville and, and Steve Clark and all these people who are uh, doing uh, Haley Piper, people who are doing genuinely incredible things. Uh, who I would never have heard of if I hadn't sort of figured out something about the indie scene. So <laughs> it's been a fun journey. There's so many books to read; it's uh, overwhelming sometimes. I think I posted something the other day. It was like, I'm going to die buried under my toppled TBR, aren't I? I'm pretty sure I am. Uh, I'm never going to get through all this, but it's it's also a, a bookworm's dream. That's <laughs> true. It's a good problem to have for sure. <laughs> yep, definitely. So are you self-publishing or are you going with the publisher? Or how did you get your collection? Oh. Yeah, I'm self-publishing this collection. Uh, and it's just because I wanted to... I wanted to get the collection out there. Um, 
I haven't had a uh, terrific amount of, you know, I've, I've had, I've had some publications uh, run my stories here and there, but it, I haven't had that year yet where, you know, you get a lot of that happening. Uh, and so I see other people having that, but I'm kind of skipping a step, I guess, and, and self-publishing. Uh, but, uh, and, and, you know, it'll, it'll become my time at some point too. But at this point, like these are stories that are a little bit older for me. They don't live anywhere, uh, really. They've lived other places in the past. They've they've either come down or they've come back to me in other ways, uh, and so they're they're kind of just sitting here. And I want I wanted them to be out there in a format where if somebody wanted to know what I wrote, if somebody wanted to know uh, what my style was, what what uh, what kind of things I write, uh, I could I could point them to one place and be like, look, here's here's my stuff. <laughs> <laughs> So what was that experience with self-publishing? Was it, yeah. was, what surprised you most about that experience? Um, I think, I think what surprised me the most, and I'm, uh, I'm very, very grateful for this is the incredibly supportive people that you will meet on the road to self-publishing. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's not an easy thing to do I, and i've always been like kind of a crafty person you know like i like to i like to cobble together book covers and i like to figure out how to how to how to build this i, I really enjoyed the interior formatting like i got really artsy with it in parts like i, I have spent little drawings over the tops of all my stories and everything uh, i i love that sort of crafting part of it but at the same time where to go and what to do and what all these things are that I have to accomplish in order to actually get this out there is uh, I, I didn't, I didn't know. I had no idea. And this has been an exercise in you can't be afraid to ask for what you need. You know, the, I, I've been blown away by the, the, generosity with knowledge and generosity with experience of the people I've met, uh, as, as part of this, uh, the, the different people who have, have blurbed my book, Gordon B. White blurbed my book, uh, Red Legault, uh, Eric Ragland, Joshua Marcella, uh, uh, Alex Evanstein, uh, Patrick Barb, all of them read it and then gave me thoughts on it. And I love these, these guys, man. It's like hero worship time over here. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I was, uh, that happened. Elford Alley has been so generous. He, he wrote the foreword for my book. He beta read it. Uh, uh, Alexis Dubon, who's another independent author, uh, who's, who's got some great stuff coming out in like field notes from a nightmare, uh, which is, uh, Dreadstone Press's, uh, eco horror, horror anthology that's coming out. Uh, she has been my critique partner for a while now. Like we, uh, we work together a lot, really just tearing each other's stories apart and making them better. And uh, all of these people that I have met have, uh, have quite honestly changed my life. It's incredible. Yeah. And it, was that difficult to get used to, to have someone, and it's something that has to happen to have your story torn apart and picked at and, yeah. and changed. But did that was that weird at first to get used to that, that sort of <laughs> someone Actually, picking apart your story? I actually have one person to credit with that, with my experience with that was, so I started, uh, uh, when I, when I started getting really, really serious about this and wanting to do it, 
and I joined the Horror Writers Association because it was like, okay, you guys have some some resources. Maybe I'll see what that's all about for a little bit. When I did, I found out about their mentorship program. So they have a, a mentorship program, and they'll actually pair you up. If you're a member, it doesn't matter, you know, what point in your career you're at or whatever. They'll actually, if you request it, and they have room in the program, they'll pair you up with somebody who is uh, typically somebody who's seen some level of commercial success. And they paired me up with, uh, uh, when I requested to be a part of it, they paired me up with Rena Mason, who's a, a author who wrote uh, uh, East End Girls and The Evolutionist and uh, actually won Bram Stoker Awards. And uh, so I was a little bit starstruck at first. And then, uh, you know, after we worked together for a little bit, Rena is an absolutely ruthless critique partner. And <laughs> that is not a bad thing at all she uh she but she would also she also coached me in some really good things which are one you don't have to like she would send this back she would send me back my document just torn to shreds you know just red marks all over it and then but she would tell me you don't have to look at this right now there's not a deadline on this you you can take the time that you need to to get okay with the fact that i beat it up she's like you could not there's nothing you could do to make it so that i didn't beat up your work like that's my job as part of this mentorship so i'm going to do it but you don't have to look at it right now you need to take the time that you need and then go back and make the edits and through that through through kind of going through those exercises which seemed uh I guess I responded to it well. I mean, you, you not not everybody does, not everybody has to, but uh, I, I just kind of got used to the idea that, you know, I'm nowhere near a perfect writer. I'm still very, very green with this. And even when I'm not, there's going to be things that people would change about my work. And so uh, I just kind of forced myself to get used to the idea that my work is going to get beat up a bit and it rarely bothers me anymore. Once in a blue moon, I'm like, Hey, ow, but not, not often. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, it's one of those parts that just has to happen you have to have someone critique it and tear it apart. But it, yeah, what are, I always wonder if it'd be weird to have that at first before you get used to it and see the benefit of it. Oh yeah. To have it someone hurts, take man. something in. Yeah. <laughs> These stories are, uh, all of them are kind of my babies. Like they're, they're, they're written uh, about perspectives and ideas and things like that that I've had over the past few years that are, you know, uh, they're, 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 they're little reflections of where I was at at some moment during the past two years, you know, so they're all, uh, they all mean a lot to me. So to, to get them critiqued and edited and beat up and everything else is, at first it hurt, but, uh, you know, these days uh, I'm, I'm getting better at it. <laughs> For sure, uh, is writing is writing therapeutic for you? You mentioned it, the each story yeah. has it, it's kind of a place where you were in your life. Is it is it a form of therapy for you? In some ways, yeah. I mean, it's uh, I would never uh, I would never recommend writing as a replacement for therapy if you if you feel like you need it. But uh, but for me, writing does. Uh, I have to be in a good place to write well. Like I can't be really angry or really agitated or stuff like that, that those emotions don't weigh well on my writing and I'll get distracted and sidetracked and I'll write like a paragraph and say, forget it and, and be done and get angry. And I'll hate what I wrote the next day if I'm in a bad spot, but if I'm in a good spot uh, and 
being reflective on on myself and my emotional state, you know, then uh, then, yeah, I think it, it really can be uh, very therapeutic. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, when yeah, it's especially when you, you feel connected to the stories like that, I bet it's uh, it can be a different kind of feeling. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Um, yeah, most of the stories in here are about I mean, there's a you probably I don't know if you guys can hear, but the, that's my three year old in the background. I have a nine year old, <laughs> and a three year old. And, uh, so, so many of my stories are because, you know, my uh, my youngest daughter's three uh, oldest daughter's nine. Uh, I wrote most of these stories during a, during times when I was uh, honestly scared because parenting is a scary thing. Uh, being a dad is super scary. <laughs> Uh, and so, you know, whether I'm in any moment, whether or not, whether I'm afraid of my own kid or afraid of myself or, you know, anything like that, you know, it, it brings up so many uh, emotions for you. And and so many of the stories in this collection are about that. It's one of the reasons that mean so much to me is because mm. it's just my own my my own personal development in a lot of in a lot of areas. <laughs> but yeah, it is scary. It is. It is a scary feeling to, yeah. to become a parent for sure. Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. But you know, so much, so much depends on you when you're a parent and it's, uh, you know, uh, it, it's just an absolutely wild experience. I would never trade it, but, uh, but boy, <laughs> has it, but boy, has it scared the pants off me a few times. <laughs> I, think, I think if it didn't, then you it's, you know, I'd be a little bit worried if you weren't scared, you know, a little bit. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, yeah. for sure. It's a, it's, it's, that's, that's uh, wise. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. And so were there any, and you mentioned books when you were younger and books you're reading now with the indie scene, I think there, I kind of feel like that stigma of self-publishing is, is starting to wane a little bit. I think people are starting to enjoy more yeah. self-published books. So I, I think it's it's good that people can go that route if they want to and get their book out there. Yeah, man, I totally agree. I, I actually I wrote it in my uh, on the copyright page because it was like, "Who's your publisher?" It always wants to know who your publisher is and stick it in. I wrote it right there, proudly self-published. Yeah, I'm. Uh, uh, I I agree with you completely. Uh, ever since I uh, discovered this this place, the scene, this, this group of people who are doing this, whether they be published by independent or publishing houses. So like the, these small indie press publishers or whether they be, uh, self-published, uh, it's my, my world has exploded from like three or four writers who I followed religiously. Uh, it, it's just like Stephen King, Stephen Graham Jones, it, you know, it's just a small group of people and, and it's just, uh, who are fantastic by the way, uh, you know, Clive Barker, those people, they're, they're, they're brilliant authors, but, uh, you know, you, you've got to be careful because you can, you can pigeonhole yourself after a while and that's all you're reading. And, uh, I remember I, I did like a, probably the last thing I read by Stephen King, uh, and it's been a little while, I need to actually go back and try something else. I need to read Dr. Sleep or something like that. But the uh, last thing I read by him was I, I, I marathoned all seven uh, Dark Tower books and uh, <laughs> uh, over the course of several months. And man, just reading that one author over and over and over again, it, 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 I was like, I need, I need to, I need to widen out. I need to do something else. And so, uh, this is uh, discovering, 
these people, these authors, the scene has has really been beneficial to me in that way too. It's, it's wondrous variety, and yeah, with self publishing, it can be messy. You may not always like what you pick up. Uh, maybe you do find some gems that you really love. That's the brilliance of self publishing is that it's it's so open to all these different viewpoints, all these different people, all these different walks of life. And you'll discover stories that you will never discover if you let huge publishing corporations control everything that you ingest. You have to branch. Uh, and I love yeah. it so much for that. Exactly. Yeah. And our friend uh, Juan from Plate by Visions is here. Hey, Juan. Hope you're having a, a good Friday. Hey there. He has a great channel. If you haven't already checked it out, definitely recommend it. I will. I will check it out. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah. Very cool. Very great. Very, very good stuff. Awesome. And, you know, I'm, I'm curious. I used to I used to really love short stories and reading short stories, and I stopped reading short stories for a while. Yeah. When I came back and started doing a booktube, I started reading short stories again, and I wondered, how do you write an effective short story? <laughs> that's a good question, man. I love short stories. That's always been my favorite medium. Uh like ever since I was sneaking books out of the kitchen, like I was telling you about, uh, uh, Stephen King's collections in particular, uh, always, always got me when I was a kid, but I've always loved the short story medium. And, uh, I think that I think, and the, the, my, my viewpoint on this is going to change from moment to moment because uh, there's, there's always something else that I'm trying to focus on or some other idea that I'm maybe trying to get across. But right now, it's funny, and Alfred Alley actually says this in the in the intro to my book as well. Uh, so I, I thought it was cool. I, I did, I'd never asked him about it before. I thought it was cool that we kind of share this idea. Uh, an effective short story, like the shorter the story, the more like a joke it is, hmm. which is a little bit odd thing, a little bit of an odd thing to say. But when you're writing a horror short story, so much of it is about the reveal or the punchline or the ending that you have all this setup and all these, these characters have different, uh, different idiosyncrasies and character traits and all this different stuff. And every bit of it, because you're so limited in word count, like 7,500 words is about as much as I'll write in a short story. And so because you're so limited in word count and so limited in the amount and in the amount of space that you can take up, everything has to mean something. And so, like it's it, and it's it, it's this wonderful sort of uh, uh, it's this wonderful thing where whatever you do in the beginning of the story has to be relevant at the end of the story, and it's something a lot of new writers struggle with. It's something I struggled with, which was you know uh, the last story in this book, "Those We Left Behind," uh, which is actually the name of the story, uh, is a science fiction. Uh, horror story right so takes place on the surface of mars and it starts with the main character uh waking up from stasis after having traveled there right and you know you're, you're thinking of the movie alien and all these other movies where uh, event horizon where people are in stasis on their way to somewhere and they wake up in this tube and it was that kind of thing when i first wrote that story i spent so much time explaining the science of stasis <laughs> and i never ever called back to it but that's what short stories do for you is they make you trim all that fat to where everything means something. And then at the end of it, you pull the rug out from under like the, the, and that's the punchline. That's the joke. That's the punchline. 
uh, one of the stories called that's in the book is called Elevator, and I won't spoil it, but that is probably the one that embraces this idea that uh, horror fiction is like writing a joke. Uh, that one probably embraces it more than any of the others because that one's a three-page story. It's Flash. It's a three-page story, and uh, and the last line is literally the punchline, like a joke. Mm-hmm. <laughs> no, I won't spoil it, but it, it was pretty good. I enjoyed that one. Yes. So, how 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 difficult is that to nail that that line or that punchline? Is it yeah. is it tough to 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 get that right? Sometimes it can be. I uh, I have some I have some uh, some examples that I try to look to uh, that are pieces of fiction that I really love that do it well, and. I kind of try to think like, because as opposed to a, a laugh, uh, unless you're writing a, a horror comedy, which is totally valid, but yeah. as, a, as opposed to a laugh, most of the time when I'm writing, I'm writing for a gut punch instead of the laugh, right? So I, I need it to be something that, that hurts or is frightening or is, is shocking. Uh, and, uh, there's a few works that I look at that, that I try to think about if I'm having trouble doing that. And I, and I try to go, you know, okay, so how did, how did uh, Paul Tremblay pull this off in, uh, in, in a head full of ghosts? You know, I don't know if you ever read that book, but mm-hmm. that one is, Oh man, you got to read that book. Uh, <laughs> if you love horror uh, stories, you got to read that book. Uh, but, uh, and again, I won't spoil it, but the ending of that is just a, is is an absolute one-two gut punch that left me reeling and i'm like how did you how did you do that and so i go back and i try to examine how he how he ended up there and on a second read you can go back and see where he was laying the groundwork for what he was going to do for the whole book and i think that's really the secret of it like you know because it's obvious to you as the writer i know where i'm going and I'm going to, especially on edits and second passes, I know I'm going to get there by, and, and I'm going to add things in or take things out or whatever, adjust it so that the ending is, that that gut punch is inevitable. Whatever it was, it has to have been inevitable and totally unnoticed. <laughs> it's a it's a hell of a puzzle to have to solve, man. <laughs> <laughs> So, uh, did did your uh, the proofreader help you with with those aspects of storytelling too of of getting that punchline? Oh yeah, oh yeah. No, I, I, everybody who reads, who who I work with, who who has been kind enough to read my work in beta form and stuff like that, has has always been really good about helping me with. Uh, you know, if you dialed this up over here, that would make this hurt like twice as much. And I'm like, oh yeah, I see what you're saying. Uh, uh, Alexis Dubon is great at doing that uh, for me. Uh, Alfred Alley has given me some great pieces of advice. Uh, and actually, I, I, uh, I had I an had editor. This is the first time I've ever uh, actually paid an editor to read my work and, and give me a developmental edit. Uh, I, I went with the Black Quill editing for, for this book, and uh, they gave me some excellent feedback that uh, because I actually asked for a developmental edit, like, what should I do here? And in, in some spots and, and they gave me some great advice. So yeah, yeah, it's, I've been really fortunate to, to have help. Like when I first started doing this, I thought that writing was going to be this solitary thing of me just sitting in my office and, and, you know, 
cranking out stories and gradually getting better and better and better just practicing. But it's it really isn't. It's uh, it, it is absolutely a community activity. Uh, I wouldn't be uh, I, I wouldn't be anywhere near. I wouldn't be doing anywhere near as as well as I hope I'm doing. I mean, I think I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I wouldn't be anywhere near that without my friends, though, for sure. Yeah, yeah, for sure. And what? So, with the book release coming up in a few weeks, are you? Is it? An, are you feeling nervous? Are you excited? What is that feeling like to, to work, <laughs> having worked on these stories for so long, and then now they're almost? Yeah, we're almost yeah. there. What is? What is that like? You know, it's it's this weird thing of where, of course, I'm excited. I'm really excited to get them out there in the world. I'm really excited for people to see them. I hope that you all love them. I know uh, somebody's going to hate them. It, it happens, uh, you know, uh, but but it's okay. Uh, I'm ready for them to be out there for better or worse. And honestly, at this point, it's been going for so long. Like I, I started this like uh, I still have the tweet when I was like, you know, I think I'm going to, I think I'd like to put together a, a, a short story collection and like two or three people were like, yeah, you should do that. And that's when I decided to do it. Uh, and I think that was back in like June or July, uh, which doesn't seem like that long ago, but uh, you know, multiple editing passes, multiple uh, formatting passes, multiple uh, uh, beta reads, all this different stuff. Uh, and, and now at this point, I, it just feels like I'm ready. I'm ready for it to be out there. I'm ready for you guys to take a look at it. I really, really hope you like it. Like that's, that's really where I'm at. Nice. Yeah, it makes sense. Uh, Steve Clark is here. He says, Hey, Brandon, what's your favorite Stephen King short story? <laughs> hey, Steve. Uh, who actually Steve, Steve Clark wrote a fantastic book, by the way, Collapse of Ordinary is, uh, is uh, a really solid, a really solid short story collection. Uh, and you guys should definitely check it out. But look it up right now. Yeah, do it, man. Uh, but uh, Stephen King, I think, does his best work. Like my favorite Stephen King work, anyway, is when he does the whole uh, bad things happening randomly to normal people sort of stories. Uh, I think probably my favorite two are The Lawnmower Man, which is not the movie, by the way. If you guys have never read The Lawnmower Man by Stephen King, it's this great story about uh, this person who <laughs> hires somebody to mow their lawn and things go terribly. Uh, so that's a, that's a, and it's just so random and bizarre. Uh, I also love, uh, I also love The Moving Finger, which is, uh, uh, a story about a man who discovers a finger coming up out of his, uh, uh, the drain of his sink. And by the end of the story, he's fighting this like 15 foot long finger with a, with a pair of electric garden shears and there's blood everywhere. And it's this bizarre story. I love it when, when, when Stephen King does those really strange things that are horrible happening to just normal random people. Yeah. <laughs> and uh Han from play by vision says lawnmower man is my favorite too my people all right <laughs> yeah, for sure that's a great one yeah that's a great one and you know getting scaring people can be tough because yeah. everyone is scared of different things how do you how do you scare people with words <sighs> that's a good good question and i don't so it's funny because we're, we're talking about horror. And so 
you want to say that my goal is always to scare somebody. And, and I think on the surface of it, it kind of is, but being scary, like, I think you'll fail if you focus on being scary, right? At least I will. I think I'll fail if I focus on being scary. Uh, it, the same way I, I think that, uh, you know, if I try really hard to be funny, I don't think people will think I'm that funny because uh, I'm, I'm trying too hard. Uh, you know, the I, I think the way that I do it is, I mean, I always start with a seed of something that scared or frightened or made me feel something. Right. Whether it's uh, one of the stories in my book, The Open Mouth, uh, is uh, uh, that's one of the stories that's got a carnivorous baby in it. So there nice. you go. But uh, that one started because when my my youngest daughter was very, very small, like infant small, uh, I would uh, I would have to rock her to sleep in her room and I would hold her and I would walk around and it was in the dark. The room was pitch black dark, except for this little blue nightlight that just lets you see enough so you don't trip over the furniture. Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> but it's the weirdest thing. You know, uh, I've always had kind of visual artifacts that show up in low light situations like that. Just from this way my eyes work or brain works or something. I don't know what that is. But I was holding my daughter in my arms and I was looking at her face and her face always seemed, it always seemed like her mouth was getting too big when she would cry at me or something like that. And it, that always bothered me. It made me a little, a little bit like, I know she, I know my daughter wasn't going to eat me, but uh, at, at the same time, that's a freaky image to have in your head. And so I, I saw that probably a uh, hundred times before I sat down to write that story, but it, it started with a seed of something that made me very uneasy. Uh, and, and I think everything is like that, right? Like it's, uh, I can only write what scares me. I can't write what scares you. I don't know what scares you. It's, it's very personal. So I have to start with me. Hmm. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I think some of it is, I would imagine is like tempo and, and, um, timing too. Right. It's oh yeah. Just like, telling, just like telling a joke. Yeah. Your timing has to be, it has to be spot on. I'm, I'm guessing it's the same with, with horror or with, yeah science or any to really any genre yeah i would think so like there's there's definitely story beats that you want to hit like you mentioned science fiction uh i am a science fiction fan you probably see a bunch of star wars stuff back there behind me uh i, I love uh superhero stories i love uh, science fiction stories uh all of that and so much of that actually conforms to the same sort of uh story structure uh, the the hero's journey uh, story structure is is very prevalent in things like Star Wars and uh, really any Marvel film or anything like that. And it's uh, it, it's it's a structure that's built to hit the right beats at the right moment to cause the maximum amount of emotional reaction in the in the uh, human that's experiencing it. And we're all kind of uh, in 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 those kind of sort of uh, action or adventure. Uh, uh, genres were all kind of trained to respond to that and uh, I, I think i was reading uh i read a thing about the hero's journey where uh the man who and, I, and i'm blanking on the name and it's bothering me but the 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 man who who wrote the book and introduced the hero's journey journey is like a a format for these types of stories uh did this research and there were people in uh <laughs> It was like human beings actually dream in hero's journey format. Hmm. And there were people in uh, 
total other countries and cultures and, and, and tribes and things like that, that still had those same kind of dreams and still told those stories in those same formats, the same ways. And it just seems to be a format that's really, uh, uh, really embedded in the human experience, right? No matter where you come from. And so that's what makes that such an effective uh, uh, story format. And in horror, you can, uh, to some degree, follow uh, follow some of that, but most of the time, especially in short horror, it really is like you you mentioned timing and jokes. I think it's closer to that than it is to the hero's journey. It's really about knowing when to pull the rug out, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's it's knowing when to say like when to end it. Because if you ever watch really good comedy shows, half the half the half the comedy comes from the editing because when do you cut the shot for maximum? That was funny. What he just said moment. Uh, and I think a lot of that's the same way in writing. Like when do you, when do you stop telling the story or when do you, uh, when do you reveal the thing is it, mm-hmm. all timing. Hmm. And are there any tropes that you try to avoid in your stories? <clears throat> Excuse me. Uh, yeah, no, I think, um, there are some that bother me personally, so I don't use them. Uh, it's usually like the, it was a dream the whole time trope or <laughs> uh, things like that. Uh, I, I, I try to, I try to avoid things that feel like a cop out, if that makes sense. Like it, it, to, to make, to remove the stakes or make something that happened seem not real or not as important as it was before. Uh, I, I always try to avoid that kind of uh, writing uh, because one, it's it's just very uh, it's very destructive to the idea of horror to remove mm-hmm. the stakes. Uh, if anything, the stakes should get bigger than you thought that they were going to be at the beginning of the story. Uh, but yeah, I think I think my least favorite trope ever is the it was a dream the whole time thing. That I saw that in something recently, and I can't even remember what it was. I think my brains blacked it out. But I watched a movie, and it was this really good movie, and I was super into it, and then. Uh, and then they, they hit that moment and it was like, Oh, it was a dream. And I was like, you got, people are still writing this in 2021. Like, get it out of here. What is this? It, it made me mad. I'll never watch that movie again. <laughs> you already forgot about it. So that's, I already cool. forgot about it. I don't even know which yeah. one it was. <laughs> <laughs> and speaking of movies, when you were talking earlier about stasis, about science fiction and stasis, I thought of one of the, the movies that stood up, that stands out to me the most with stasis is uh, Pandorum. I don't know if you've seen it. I've not seen Pandorum. Tell me about it. What's up? It's a science fiction movie. It's I think it's maybe a little bit of horror, but it's um, yeah. I don't want to give too much away, but it's uh, uh, Ben Foster is in it. I think his name is Ben okay. Foster. So he wakes up on this spaceship, and yeah. um, the spaceship is on its is on its way to a, a an Earth like planet. Yeah, that is going to take I don't know how many hundreds of years to get there. So the crew is rotating during this journey. So they they go into stasis and then they, they come out. So they're, they're almost on shifts. Yeah. They they go into stasis for a while and they come out and they go back in and the next crew replaces them. Well, he wakes up up all by himself and he's not sure where everyone is. He's, there's no one around. And, um, he's been, he's trying to figure out how long have I been asleep? Where are we? And the story evolves from there. And there's a, a, lots of twists and turns in the story. So I don't want to say too much, but if you're into, waking up from stasis don't know what the hell is going on then yeah one to check out but don't don't uh don't spoil yourself on it because there's there's some great reveals in it oh yeah no i'll check it out i i 
I actually love the idea, the the whole, like as a as a way to start a story. The waking up from stasis thing I think works so well because, uh, you know, I've always I've always heard that you want to avoid the 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 beginning of the story where they where somebody wakes up from sleeping or wakes up from a dream or whatever happens at the beginning of the story was a dream and then the main character wakes up. But I think uh, I think stasis adds this extra element of confusion and uh uh you know like you can they can wake up from stasis in any state at all they can not remember their names or they can uh you know uh in in the case of pandorum they can wake up and not know why they woke up or where everyone else is at like it's and it's like an instant mystery you just get Mm -hmm. to you get to if something is wrong when they wake up from stasis, you get you get to start your mystery from ground zero and actually start it with them. I think it works so well as a trope. Yeah, that's great. And anyone in the chat, if you have any favorite movies of uh, that start with someone waking up from stasis or just stasis in the movie or book, yeah. let us know in the chat if you can think of any that you enjoy. Because <laughs> I'm always, I'm always down for for more. <laughs> that's such a great uh, device to use. I think, like you were saying, it's yeah, it's a really fun one to uh, to develop yeah. a story out of. Oh, totally. I was going to tell you too. Uh, so the the story in my book uh, that starts with stasis uh, is called "Those We Left Behind," and the uh, I've got like a, a double whammy of tropes right in the first scene of that story because there's two things that happen. Uh, the first one is that he wakes up from stasis, and then the second one, uh, and this is one I've seen mentioned on like Twitter and some other places like a lot recently, is the weird deer. So in in horror movie horror movies horror TV shows horror books everything else uh it's uh, everybody's like oh you got to have a weird deer like a deer with weird glowing eyes or uh, something like that uh, uh mine uh mine's a deer on a spaceship so that one's that one's new nobody's done deer on spaceship i don't think uh and it's got it's got weird teeth so <laughs> oh, and I think what makes what makes Stasis even more interesting is when you wake up from it is that you're usually on a spaceship in the middle of nowhere and you're yeah. you're beyond the point usually of no return. So you can't just turn around and go back. You're stuck where you are. Yeah. There's, there's oh, yeah. nowhere to go. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I tried with this one to kind of subvert the trope a little bit, and it does in a certain way in that when my main character wakes up from Stasis, everything is going as it is supposed to with everybody but him. Hmm. <laughs> so the mystery mystery is not necessarily external at least not at first oh the plot thickens the plot thickens <laughs> and, and uh, juan says one of my favorites is aliens oh which, absolutely wonderful yeah great are you a fan of the alien franchise oh i love alien yeah i, lo- I love the first one uh i i even love prometheus and i know that there are people who uh bat that one back and forth it's either good or it's terrible uh but yeah no i i, I love the whole thing uh, the only one that i haven't seen is covenant and i keep kicking myself for that i need to go watch it but uh but yeah no i love the alien franchise for sure uh i, lo- I love the art of geiger too the that oh. dark uh bug-like beetle-like sort of uh uh yeah no it's great i love it yeah he is yeah he was was great he was the artwork was crazy and uh i think covenant i i went into that with expectations that i shouldn't have had oh really <laughs> so, so i walked i walked out disappointed because i went to the, i saw it in the theater and then later yeah. a few months later i watched it again and i just said i'm just gonna 
take it in and I enjoyed it a lot more without any expectations. So, well, Hey, that's good. Yeah. No, I find, find those expectations, man. They can be really destructive to, to, to movies or books, depending on what you're looking for going in. But, uh, you know, uh, I'll, I'll try to watch covenant with a, with an open mind and be, be, uh, uh, be accepting of it. And I'm sure I'll have a better time. Yeah. And now that Disney owns the alien franchise and a lot of pretty much everything else, yeah, <laughs> uh, if, we'll see if uh, we they'll have a chance to finish it, but yeah. or at least to to make the third movie to connect it to Alien. So hopefully yeah. that'll happen. That that would be cool. Hey, does Disney own this show? They don't, right? This is this is like one of the no, last but, things they don't. <laughs> send send the check my way, the twenty bucks or whatever. <laughs> I'm cheap. I'm a cheap. Yeah, I'm a cheap date. So <laughs> love it. Yeah. I think uh, Alien Resurrection was. I'm still trying to forget that one, but oh yeah, <laughs> yeah. well they were trying something. Uh, it didn't work, but they tried. <laughs> yeah, you can't blame them. But Alien Three, the assembly cut was. I, I enjoyed that a lot more than the than the theatrical release. Oh yeah, Have you seen the assembly cut. I don't know that I've watched the assembly cut. I think I've only seen theatrical. Hmm. Yeah. yeah, what was what was added? What was better about it? Um, there was a lot more it was another 20, 30 minutes long and yeah. the origin of the, the alien didn't come out of a, of a dog. It came out of a, like an ox, I think. Oh, wow. Yeah. So there's a, there's a few different changes in it, but it made a lot more sense and it, it was just a all around better movie. And, um, the added scenes add to the atmosphere and, and to the overall, I, I think it's sad the way that that movie turned out and the studio interference and, uh, yeah it's, it's too bad it's too bad that, yeah. that happens when are studios gonna learn man keep your keep your fingers out of the creator's uh business man <laughs> yeah. it's, it's so disappointing and i think that's why i love because before i started before i got into booktube i read a lot of indie comics and you know i, I enjoyed mm -hmm. that scene because i i enjoy the the vision of the creator as they intended it not as someone who yeah. chopped it up and cut it and said we need to change this from this to that because this is what's popular right now. It's it's what the creator wants. So, yeah, I, I enjoy that about it. I love that about a lot of indie media these days. And it, this is coming from like a diehard Marvel fan and everything else. But uh, I, I love the uh, uh, I, 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 I'm with you on that whole idea of sort of the untouched vision of the creator. Right. Uh, and the thing is you're it, you're not going to get a smooth consistent product it's not going to be perfect every time sometimes it's going to be messy but if 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 you kind of embrace that as the fun that's the yeah. great thing sometimes those, those imperfections and those those messy parts are will make it great is right is the mistakes that are made in 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 the art so well, I mean, you know, art imitates life in a lot of ways. And and think about our lives, man. It's it's not perfect. You know, not everybody uh, has a, a smooth, easy life. Not everybody, you know, like I, uh, uh, you know, you maybe you maybe you have a job that you don't like, or maybe you're you know you're you're worried about your your family or all these different kinds of things. Like your your life is messy. And everybody's life is messy. And I think that art that imitates that can speak to us more loudly than art that is, is perfect and smooth and, and, and workshopped to, to death. You know, it, it, that, that sort of thing often rings hollow to me. And, and that's one of the reasons why I love indie self-published all this different stuff. That's a great point. Yeah. That's a really great point. 
Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I like that. <laughs> and if, if someone were to come to you and say, Brandon, I'm going to start writing, uh, will you give me some advice? What would you tell them? <laughs> uh, that's, a, that's a good question because, uh, you know, it's it's hard to answer because I've received some really great advice that was great at the time and then turned out later to be not so great. Uh, I've received advice that I was like, yeah, screw that guy. And then later on, I was like, oh, wait a minute, I should have listened to that. Uh, you know, and and advice is one of those things that like it's it's pretty deeply personal to me because it's like this all i can ever say when i give somebody advice is that it worked for me right uh i can never say that it will work for you that you will somehow be uh successful or get over whatever hump you're trying to get over any of those things i i can never say that because it only ever worked for me uh but i think the things that have worked for me are do everything you can not to take criticism personally, do everything that you can to be kind to the other people who are also trying to do what you're trying to do and be as open as you possibly can to ideas no matter where they come from and i and i mean that creatively as in you know i i have one of the first stories or i think it's the third story in in my book is called uh tea party and it, that's the one with the carnivorous fairies i was talking about so <laughs> not to spoil too much but uh and in like the last scene in that story i wrote that last scene first and the and there's there's this stupid dad joke in it like it's and it's just something that occurred to me and i'm sure i heard it somewhere else before so i'm something stupid but it's a silly silly joke and that's what i wrote this whole story around like i wrote the whole story just to get to that ridiculous dad joke and then but the, the story is creepy and gory and, and horrifying but it gets to that one little spot and that's the seed that I wrote that whole story around. And you never know what direction an idea for something like this is going to come to you from. And so you need to be open and ready pretty much all the time. In the middle of the night, I have a, I have a, I have a idea sheet on my uh, a Google doc that I put a shortcut to on the, on the front page of my phone. Like I'll wake up at four in the morning and write, I think I wrote pirate skeletons the other night. I don't know why I wrote that. That's a silly idea, but it, you, you just, you have to write down everything and keep it. And you never know which one is going to actually materialize into something good. Hmm. Yeah. That's pretty good advice. I think to write everything down. Yeah. I mean, I hope yeah. so. <laughs> the, the advice though is also like, to be open to it because that's really the hard part. Like I wrote down pirate skeletons and I'm like, that's silly, but I might write something with a pirate skeleton in it one day. So don't discount your own ideas. I think is the other half of that. Like it's very tempting to be like, ah, that's dumb. Somebody else has already done that. Don't do that to yourself. No, I know. Was it Jerry Bruckheimer who made the pirates of the Caribbean films? I know he already made pirate skeletons. I know, but only you can make pirate skeletons like you would do it. Like that's, you know, it, it will be unique if you make it. So. Oh, it's good advice. <laughs> <laughs> really good advice. Cool. 
So now with your uh, with your release date coming up, what do you work or do you have an idea of what you're going to work on next? Like you're going to focus mm-hmm. on next or are you still tossing ideas around? I I'm kind of in a stage where I have started on like three or four different projects and one of them will probably materialize into something that I finished. Uh, hopefully a couple of them do, but but I'm not sure. Uh, I, so I've got an idea for a novella. Uh, I, I think it'll be a novella. I don't think it'll go long enough to be a novel. Uh, but I'm styling that one as uh, uh, My Girl Meets Salem's Lot with Werewolves and Capitalism. So that should be fun. And then, uh, so I'm working on that one. And I've got like two or three uh, short story ideas that I'm trying to put together. A couple of them for uh, calls that I've seen, like open calls for anthologies and stuff like that. Uh, but uh there's one of them in particular that I like a lot that is, uh, it's not for anything. That was just for me. Like I, I didn't get a prompt on that one. I just wanted to write it. So, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see which one of those, if, if, if not all of them materializes into something, but, uh, hmm. yeah, you're right. I'm kind of in a transitional moment, I guess. <laughs> yeah, I, I would have, I mean, I would just imagine that if I were, if I had worked on something for so long and it's, it's so close, I think it might take a little bit of a break or, you yeah. know, just kind of, kind of just, relax a little bit, you know, kind of enjoy it. <laughs> well, the funny thing is I kind of have been a little bit, like I haven't been really bullish on writing for, for maybe a month now. Like I've been dipping my toe in the water, writing a paragraph here, a paragraph there, but I haven't really been, I don't want to lose too much, you know, like I don't want to, I don't want to set it totally aside and then come back and be like, I, I don't remember words. It, it, I guess there's a fear in that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, but uh, at the same time, like I don't want to, because when I when I'm writing a story that I am like, I'm definitely going to finish this. Like this is my project that I'm doing right now. When I'm doing that, I I I write for an hour or two a day, like late at night after the kids have gone to bed and everybody's cool and settled. I'll I'll write until like midnight one in the morning uh and then and then go to bed and get up and go to work the next day uh but it's a little bit intense during those couple of hours where i'm actually doing that mm-hmm. uh and uh right now uh you know i'm i'm being very chill with it i'm not uh i'm trying not to stress myself out over it too much because i'm not quite sure which one of these ideas is gonna is gonna make something so but once i find out you you won't be able to stop me so <laughs> <laughs> So once once your book and once you finished this collection and you you said okay it's ready to go did yeah. you celebrate or did you have uh, like a you have a drink or did you go out for dinner or did you do anything special as a, yeah. to celebrate? Uh, definitely, yeah. My uh, uh, my wife and I uh, had a had an evening with uh, martinis and uh, and and Thai food. It was it was lovely. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, definitely did. Yeah, no, it was a, it was a, it was a big moment, honestly, because uh, it was after uh, I, I didn't count it done until I got the edits back uh, from from my editor, and then uh, once that had happened, I went through, made all the edits that I was going to make, uploaded it to. I mean, everything's uploaded on Amazon right now. I'm just waiting for the twenty third, but uh, uploaded everything, got it where it needed to be, uh, formatting finished. Uh, completed it there was essentially nothing else to do except talk about it a lot like i get i get the uh incredible fortune of talking to folks like you and 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 raul and and talking to people uh on on twitter who have been kind enough to to pre-order and and uh 
you know, show interest. But that's all I really have left. Like the the book itself is done, and so uh, that's 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 why I, I told you earlier. I was like, I'm just kind of ready to get it out there because mm-hmm. you know, at this point, uh, once that's done, uh, you know, that'll be the thing that I did instead of the thing that I'm doing. <laughs> yeah, that's a good. Way, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. And you had mentioned open calls for short stories. Is that for anthologies that ask for specific types of stories, or how does that work? Oh yeah, uh, so I try to stay as plugged in as I can to that uh, uh, to that sort of. Uh, I've said the word "scene" a lot. I don't, I don't like the word "scene" all that much, but I, I keep using it. But I try to stay as plugged in as I can to that to that uh, to that set uh, to watch like you know Ghost Orchid Press just released a, a cool uh, anthology uh, uh, prompt today, which they're going to put a put together a. Uh, an anthology based on uh, neurodiversity horror stories, which I think could be incredibly cool. Uh, you know, I, I don't know that I'll, I'll uh, enter anything for that one, but there's, there's so many weird punk books has a, has a horror anthology right now uh, that there, there's an open call for dealing with, uh, dealing with the artist and model relationship. It's going to be called mm-hmm. stories of the eye. Uh, I mean, that one sounds really cool. Uh I know several people who are working on that one. I don't know if I'm going to find anything for that one either, but there's two or three of them out there that I'm really thinking about. And I actually have one story that I wrote after I finished all the stories in this book. Uh, I, I did write that one more story and that one's out for submission in a, uh, in an open submission call to an anthology. And I've got my fingers crossed real hard for that one. I'd really like that one to come through. So asking the universe right now. <laughs> we'll uh, put the positive vibes out there for you. Yeah, I appreciate it. Uh, There's positivity out there for you. (laughs) I appreciate it. So before we wrap up, I wanted to, I have two questions I'd like to ask all of my guests uh, before we wrap up. So the first one is, uh, what was your first job? Oh, uh, so my first job that paid me money, uh, because my dad put me to work all the time. I used to, I used to have to help (laughs) him around the up around the house uh, doing all kinds of stuff. Uh, but I think the first job that actually paid me money was pushing carts at a grocery store. Uh, so uh, had to uh, help them clean up the, the parking lot, put the carts in the right place and, uh, and all of that. That was no fun in Texas where it's like in the summers, it'll hit 120 degrees if you're not careful. <laughs> oh no. Um, is it windy there too? Or I'm sure that would be a pain with lots of carts. Oh yeah, no, it can be. Yeah, I've I've seen carts fly all the way across the parking lots and take a car out. It's no fun. <laughs> yeah, it's no fun at all. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely seen it happen. I, I I love the new state of things though. Like it's the I, I think it's the only good thing that came out of COVID is the fact that I don't have to go into the grocery store anymore. I, I can literally drive up and do curbside. That's 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 the best. <laughs> Isn't so nice. It's so nice. It's yeah, right. So easy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, man. It's a little it's a little too easy. I wonder if if it's uh a long long term if it's a bad thing, but Yeah, yeah, who knows, yeah. right? Yeah. I'm but, just enjoying but, it. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. Well, and I I think I buy less actually because I don't uh I don't impulse impulse buy cuz I I only get what's in my cart. <laughs> yeah. Oh, look at that. I'm going to get that too. And you walked on the aisle and oh, look at that. And you get some Oh, yeah. Some, I'm yeah. a big uh I'm I'm a big uh toy person like i have a ton of little 
just Hot Wheels and action oh, figures nice. and stuff like this. And uh, uh, boy, that was especially when the bigger grocery stores started carrying like having a toy aisle. That was a that was a trap for me. I always go in there and spend too much money. <laughs> They're gonna get you one way or another. One way or another, man. Yeah. <laughs> so the the second question is: uh, Was there anything if if roles were reversed? Yeah. Would there be any question that you would have asked that I didn't ask? Oh, so if I was like interviewing me, or is that yeah? Uh, if you yeah, yeah if, if was there something that I should have asked? Oh, let me think, man. Um, boy, that is a really good question. That one caught me off guard. Uh, <laughs> oh, sorry. I told you I wouldn't catch you off guard, and then I. Oh you no, you're good. You're good. It's okay. <laughs> uh, it's okay. Uh, no, I think. You know, this was this has been a really fun interview. Uh, I have had a blast talking to you, Steve. Uh, I guess maybe if you wanted to ask me about other hobbies or something like that, stuff that I do besides uh, besides writing, uh, that's pretty cool. Uh, and, and I would tell you that, uh, uh, yeah, I do have some other stuff. Like uh, up here, you can't see it; it's just out of shot. I built a whole town out of Lego bricks. It's all the way across the top of my shelves right here. So I, I'm, a, I'm a big Lego guy. Uh, I also, you know, I showed you some of the toys and stuff like that in my collection. So, yeah, I, I, I'm a big hobby guy. My wife, my wife always gets uh, irritated and rolls her eyes at me when I start a new hobby. But <laughs> Yeah, I, I know what that's like. Yeah, for yep. sure. I get those strange looks all the time. <laughs> right on, man. Well, it's... It's good anyway, right? <laughs> oh, yeah. Uh, yeah, it's having, I'm having fun, so it'll be okay. That's so good. If, uh, if people wanted to find you online, where, where could they find you, connect with you? Um, I do have the links for Amazon, uh, your website, Great. your Twitter down below, but where, where's a good place to find you? Uh, Twitter and the website are probably the two places that are the easiest places to get a hold of me. I don't do a ton of social media outside of Twitter just because that's my that's my weapon of choice, I guess. Uh, uh, you know, canceled my Facebook a couple of years ago. I don't have an Instagram, but I do use uh, Twitter. And then uh, my website is where I will occasionally, emphasis on occasionally, uh, get a blog entry out there to tell you what's going on with me or what's happening in my head. I actually have one that I'm working on right now about uh, uh, about, uh, ghost sightings. So that one should be fun. Uh, so, you know, keep an eye out. Uh, I'll, I'll finish it eventually. Uh, and you can sign up for updates there if you want to, and I'll email you whenever it comes out. Cool. Yeah, I'll do that. And I'll, I'll be buying my signed copy. So all right uh, on, man. I hope to see that soon. So yeah, it's, it, you can't, I recently, right behind me, you can't see it here, but it's oh, yeah. Alfred Ashley's book signed is right there. So nice. I love, I love getting signed books. It's did you, something did, about did it. you get the we will find a place for you book signed was that the one that you bought recently from alfred yeah 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 i, I love his doodles that he does on the, inside the front covers of his books i have all of his books signed up here and uh I, I love the doodles that he does and his most recent one in we will find a place for you is realtor ghost his yeah. realtor ghost is gonna find a place for you i think it's great I love that. I think, I think mine said uh zillow owned your house the whole time or something like that <laughs> That oh, was man. great. Yeah, Alfred's, awesome. the, Alfred's the funniest horror author I've ever met. <laughs> yeah. He's a hilarious dude. He's very pleasant to be around. Very, very nice and friendly. For sure. sure. For sure. Yeah. Well, cool, man. Yeah. Well, thanks for coming by. I know you're you're busy, have a lot going on. You have a book release coming up. So I appreciate <laughs> you making the time to come by and chat. And I'm looking forward to reading the book. 
For sure, man. I really appreciate you having me. Uh, thank you so much for 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 getting helping me get the word out because I mean that's what you're doing. You're really helping me a lot here. So I uh, am genuinely grateful. And hey, everybody, if you get an opportunity to read those we left behind and other sacrifices, uh, I would be really really grateful for that. Uh, come get a copy. And uh, yeah, uh, thanks so much, Steve. I appreciate it. Yeah, just for anyone who came in late, uh, the links below are there's one to Amazon. You can pre-order the book. It's released on uh, November 23rd. Mm-hmm. Or you can go to the website and get the signed copy, right? And that'll be sent out for, uh, by you. Is that correct? Yep, yep. I'll send those out after it. Unfortunately, signed copies take a little bit longer to get out because I got to order them on the 23rd and then sign them and send them out to you. But, you know, you'll, you'll, you will get them. It's well, well worth the wait. Have a signed book. It's oh, yeah. nothing like it. Yeah. Oh yeah, and uh, the other thing is too. I'll I'll send you a ebook if you buy a signed copy. I'll send you an ebook on release day. So, perfect. There you go. Everybody, yep. go uh, go check it out. And uh, Brandon, thanks again for taking the time. I really appreciate it. Of course. Thank you, Steve. Yeah. Look forward to doing it again sometime. Yeah, for sure, man. Th- thanks, everyone. See you soon.